about the gospel a lot, but sometimes it can be hard to explain exactly what that means. In this series, we're talking about Alive in Five, which is a simple and easy to remember way to tell the story of Jesus with five symbols that represent five points in that story. We hope you enjoy this series from Apex students, and we pray that you don't walk away without looking a little more like Jesus. If you've spent any time in the church in your life, you have heard probably how important it is to tell people about Jesus, right? It's just kind of something they teach us from the very beginning from kids' church. They say, you got to tell people about your faith, tell people about your walk with Jesus, and tell people like how to follow Jesus as well, like introduce them to this idea. Um, The thing that doesn't always get talked about is the early, especially like when we're talking about the early times in like kids' church, is how scary and terrifying that is. (laughs) Right? Like when you're a kid, it's just like tell your friends about Jesus and you're like, hey, you guys know about Jesus? And they're like, no. And it's like, it's beautiful. It's very cute and it's fine. But as you get older, like the social like climate around you changes, right? As you get older, it gets more complicated. Your life just gets more complicated. (laughs) And the social things around you get more complicated. And so like telling people about Jesus becomes much more difficult. Um, I know this is true in like a public school setting. If you're homeschooled, you probably have the same issue in a u- unique way that I don't understand. But I know I come from a public school background. And, and telling people about Jesus, when I was a kid, it was just kind of like this cute thing that you did. But when you get older, it's like risky, right? You're taking a risk when you tell a friend about Jesus. You're risking like your friends questioning you about like, hey, you're not getting too far into this God stuff because we don't want you to stop being fun. Or like you may be, people like might downright reject you because you're like, nah, I don't really want to hang out with that. Or like straight up ridicule for your beliefs. And people all over the world are persecuted for their faith in Jesus. Um, you are not persecuted per se. <laughs> so let's not throw that word around. But it can be difficult to be a Christian, it can be difficult if Jesus is a part of your life to tell people about that. In light of that, we want Apex to be a safe place. We, we usually talk at the beginning of the year about you know, Apex things and what we want the year to be about, what we want our place to be about, our environment. And uh, we want this to be a safe place you can bring your friends, um, a place where they can encounter God themselves, a place where they can encounter Christian community and see what it's like to be around a bunch of people that follow Jesus and have fun with us. That's what we want Apex to be about. We also want Apex to be a place that equips you with uh, the tools you need to do what God has called you to do. And if one of those things that God has told you to do, called you to do, is tell people about him, We want to equip you with the tools to do that well. So um, does all that make sense, the logic there? We want this to be a place where you can do that, where you can get the tools to do that. So at Apex, we have adopted this model, this tool of talking about the story of Jesus. And we call that model Alive in Five. Alive in five. And so you may have seen these symbols around um, because I've used them in here as we talk about Jesus. I've used them on Sunday mornings as well. As I walk through the the story of Jesus, the message of Jesus, you will see these five symbols every time I do that. Um, And that's because it's my favorite way to talk about what God has done. It's my favorite way to lay out the story of Jesus and how God has interacted with mankind. So what you're looking at is five symbols, and they each represent a part in the story of Jesus, five parts in the story of what God has done. And the symbols are there. uh, There's a phrase that goes with each symbol. And the idea is that you would memorize the symbols so that they would jog your memory about the phrase. And so you can walk someone through the gospel, walk someone through the story of Jesus um, just by having these five symbols memorized. And 
it's, it's in part to help us understand the gospel better. That's what it's done for me, even. I've, I've understood the gospel better because of this tool. And I've also been able to tell people about the gospel through this tool. So it's two goals there, to understand it better and to be able to tell people about it better. And it's, it's so simple that you can doodle it on a napkin at lunch or at Dunkin' Donuts or whatever. Um, just, that, just jot down these five symbols, and they can kind of help you remember the story of Jesus as you tell people. So it's helped me, and I hope it has helped you. Some of you will remember last year, we did a six-week series all about this. Five weeks I preached on one symbol at a time, and in the sixth week we had Lee Rogers come, and he talked about mobilizing this thing, and how do we actually use this in real life. Um, we did a 30-day like prayer journal, prayer and scripture journaling. It was a whole thing. Um, it was a great, really great thing for like 30 days. It was a little more than that even after the, the sixth week. But um, others will remember that I did a breakout of Fearless. If you went to Fearless, I talked about Alive and Five at Fearless, and I told you you weren't allowed to come. Um, and that's because you have access to me all the time, and so we're going to share that information tonight. So some of that stuff we're going to be talking about tonight, um, we're actually, we're not going to spend six weeks on Alive in Five. We're going to go, we're going to do two weeks of Alive in Five. We're going to talk about it this week and we're going to talk about it next week. We're kind of cutting it in half um, and I'm going to be sharing some of the information that I shared last year. Some of the information, it's way condensed, you know, six weeks to two weeks. Um, but tonight we're going to do the setup, the first three symbols. And then next week we're going to do the last two symbols and this idea of how to mobilize it. So um, we've got a lot of uh, ground to cover, three symbols tonight uh, in Alive and Five, so let's do it. The first symbol is the heart, and the phrase that goes with that heart is, our God is love. God is love. And uh, if you've ever been to church, you've probably heard that about the love of God. It's kind of something that's basic that we kind of talk about a lot. Um, we understand God by reading rec recordings of what people have written about him interacting with them all throughout history. So that's kind of like our understanding of God is in these two pieces. One, it's how we encounter him. And also it's how what we read of how he's encountering humanity since the beginning. So we see in these readings about 2,000 years ago, a man named John wrote this. We know how much God loves us and we have put our trust in his love. God is love and all who live in love live in God and God lives in them. And then about a thousand years before that, a, a super godly king wrote this. But you, O Lord, are a God of compassion and mercy, slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love and faithfulness. So this is like the ancient understanding of God and of God's love. And that is the same way we understand God today. That's exactly what we see God as a God of love and compassion. And God, he's not just is loving, but he is love. So here's a bunch of ways that we see God is love. First of all, he created us in his image. Um, if you're taking notes, I'll give you points. I'm not going to show you every scripture on the screen, but I'll tell you where it comes from. Genesis 1.27 is one verse in a, a bigger idea of God creating us in his image. Um, he created us for, he created us out of love. So God had this love and, and he created us to be the recipient of that love and so that we could experience loving God back and this beautiful exchange of love. Um, he created us in his image. He also revealed himself to Abraham. So we have this beautiful relationship with God and then we mess it up. 
God says, don't do these things. Don't do this one thing. And we do the thing. And God didn't want us to do the thing because it would create separation between us and him. And we didn't care. So God, he, he gave us what we wanted. And he, we got separation from God. But he said, that I'm not willing to let that be the end of the story. So I'm going to reintroduce myself to humanity so that eventually we can be reunited. Uh, God and man can be reunited. So to begin that, he revealed himself to Abraham. You see this all throughout the Old Testament, not a specific verse, but his story in Genesis. You can see a lot of stuff going on there. Um, after he revealed himself to Abraham, not directly after, but many years later, he came as Jesus. So to, to be the, so if Abraham was the beginning of that reintroduction, the end was Jesus. And God came to earth in the form of man and said, I, I will not be separated from my people anymore. And I'm going to, um, I'm going to be reunited forever. So Jesus came. We're going to talk about more about Jesus, but John 3.16, you probably have heard that. He loved the world so much that he gave his son to die, to be sacrificed, so we'd be reunited with him and have eternal life. I'm paraphrasing. That's not, you, if you were like, John 3.16, I know that. And then the thing I said wasn't that. It's because I was paraphrasing. Um, eternal life. In heaven. He's given us eternal life in heaven. Uh, again, John 3.16 says that he came to give us eternal life. So that means after we die, uh, our spirit does not just go away the way our body decays. There's something more to it. Um, and whether you're a Christian or not, like people all over the world generally agree, not everyone, but generally agrees that, that this this body is not the only piece of me. Like we, science doesn't quite really understand the difference between a living person and a dead person. <laughs> like what really happened there? We don't really, I, like sure, the heart stopped beating, the brain stopped doing its thing, but like what is its thing? You know, <laughs> like what makes a person alive alive? What is the difference between me and a rock? Science is like, they kind of have some ideas, but there's some things that they're like, I don't really understand consciousness. I don't really understand this. So we say there is more than just my body. We have the spirit. And when we die, we spend eternity in heaven with him if we choose to make him a part of our life. Um, John 10.10 10 will also tell us that we get abundant life on earth. So we get eternal life in heaven and we get, even when we're here, we doesn't just like, we don't have to wait until we die to experience God's love. We get an abundant life, um, fulfilled enriched life on earth because of his love. That's the way he shows us his love. The second symbol is the diverging road. Diverging or diverging, I don't know. It's a road, it splits. Um, and the phrase that goes with it is our sin divides us from God. Our sin divides us from God. And again, we know this is true because this idea is repeated over and over throughout these like scripture, these ancient writings. Um, and so we see it here in a book that's recording the events of the life of a prophet. His name was Isaiah. And it says, it's your sins that have cut you off from God. Because of your sins, he has turned away and will not listen anymore. I know the sin thing can be like confusing. We don't really understand it. So I'm going to talk a little bit about sin, a couple ideas. Sin is missing the mark. So like we have these scriptures that we read in English, but when God was telling people to record these words so that people will have my word forever, it was not English that those people were speaking. Some of them were Hebrew, some of them were Greek. And this word in English, we now have sin. We're translating from Hebrew and Greek. And in those words we have, uh, in Hebrew, we have hata, and in Greek, we have hamartia. There will not be a test. But those are both of those words we translate to sin. And if you said to a Hebrew-speaking person, hata, they would not think the word sin. 
They, because it's their original language, it's their culture. They would hear hata and think archery. Because hata is, is a word that means when you're you know, shooting a bow, you have like the target. When you miss, hata is a word they use to describe missing the target. Hamartia, if you said to a, a Greek-speaking person, hamartia, they would not hear sin. They would see archery or, or javelin throwing. They would see this target, and, and if you miss the target, it's hamartia or hata. So that's how we understand sin, is it's missing the mark. God has this bullseye for my life. And I don't mean he has this, like, this exact plan that I need to nail or my life is ruined. <laughs> he has this, like, if I didn't eat the right thing for breakfast when I was in third grade, I messed up my God's purpose forever. That's not how it works. But he has this, like, thing your life is supposed to look like. And he's given us these instructions that we, like, we call commands or commandments, and we see them as this giant list of rules. But what he's saying is, hey, live your life in this bullseye here, and that's how you live a blessed life. That's how you live a happy life. Um, that's the next idea. God hates sin, not because he loves rules, but because sin hurts us. God has, has designed this bullseye for us because in the bullseye, there is that abundant life we talked about. It's life to the fullest. It's, it's good. When we miss the mark, we, don't, we haven't just like made God angry. What we have done is we have missed the mark on his bullseye, and so there's consequences for that. And, and generally, like you know, if you murder a person, there is consequences. Like he, the, I think that's a great example. Like He made these rules not because he loves making rules, but because he is setting us up for abundant life. If you live in this bullseye, you will have a better life, and you will be better at life. God hates sin because it hurts us. Uh, Romans 6.23 says the wages of sin is death. When you sin, when you miss the mark, there is always a consequence. There is death. There is bloodshed. There is bad when you miss the mark. Another idea is that no one is righteous. Um, Romans 3.10 says this, no one is righteous. So uh, if you're looking around the room thinking like, wow, I'm the only person missing the mark, you need to know that I do not get to be on a stage because I don't sin. <laughs> That's not how this works. Um, nobody is righteous. Nobody gets this perfectly. Um, this place, like church is not a place for guilt and shame. That's just, that's not how God set it up. No one is righteous. No, not one. So there's this question like, okay, even if I do understand sin a little bit better, how do I address it? Like, what do I do with this knowledge of sin, um, with this sin problem? 2 Timothy 2.22, which is a, it's an easy one to remember. 2 Timothy 2.22, it's a really great verse. I've, uh, nah, I don't know, a couple months ago in Harvest on a Sunday, I preached just on this verse, 2 Timothy 2.22. He gives us an outline on how to deal with sin. And I'm not gonna read the verse, you should, 2 Timothy 2.22. Um, but this is the idea. He gives us some, like, to, to avoid sin, flee from evil desires. So don't just, like, grit your teeth and try really hard not to sin. Right? I'm not just going to, I'm not going to sin. That's not what he says. He says, get out of there. When you're facing a, a decision where you're like, okay, at this moment, I'm about to do something sinful, he doesn't say, like, stand your ground. He says, get out of there. Get out of a situation where you might sin. So I say change your environment, change your circumstances to, get, to flee from evil desires. So another thing he says, um, flee from evil desires, also replace the bad with the good. So he doesn't just say get out of there, but replace <clears throat> the bad influence, the bad decision with good things. So by spending time in God's word, spending time in prayer, and the third thing to put good people around you 
is to get around people who are going to support your God-honoring life, your God pursuits. Flee from evil desires, replace the bad with the good, and get good people around you. So we've got what is sin, we've got how do I avoid sin, um, but some of you are like, well, this news would have been really great this morning before I yelled at my parents, before I stole some kid's lunch money. Um, do people do that? I don't know. It's on TV. I never, that never happened to me. <laughs> no one ever stole my, someone in here has had their lunch money stolen. They're very upset. Um, so it's okay. And this is what happens when you do sin. Like God has set it up. So all that, what you have to do is say, God, I'm a sinner. I messed up. Would you please forgive me? Proverbs 28, 13 is, is a kind of one in many places in scripture that kind of lays this out for you. Just say, God, I messed up. And one of the things in this verse that it kind of outlines is like, what we, what we think is ignore my sin. What we think is I did this bad thing. Okay, I need to just move on. I just need to get past it. I just need to get away from it. I'll pretend it never happened. But God says, quit trying to hide that thing because it's chasing you. <laughs> so instead of hiding from your sin, you look your sin in the eyes and then you turn to God and say, I'm sorry about this. I messed up. I repent. I'm going to turn from that way but God forgive me. And that's how you move on from sin. Ask God to forgive you. And yes, it is that easy. And, and like, this is one of those things that um, you'll find in like brain science is a good thing. Reflecting on the bad and like actually being humble. This is like humility in leadership. It's like, they're doing all the studies in leadership. They're like, how, what makes a great leader? And what they're finding is like, they're finding the Bible. <laughs> they're finding all these things that God said, this is what you should do. This is what you should pursue. They're finding that the people that live biblical values, whether they know they're biblical or not, are good leaders, people that people want to follow. Um, Proverbs 28, 13, ask God to forgive you. Okay, so we've got the heart. Um, God is love. We've got the diverging road. Our sin divides us from God. And the third symbol is the cross. Very important one in, in Christendom. And... Um, that makes it sound like it's about me. Christian, Christendom. Never mind. It's not me. <laughs> this is a genuine confusion I'm trying to avoid. <laughs> so it came off as a joke. It's the cross. And the cross has this phrase, and Jesus paid for our sin, then came back to life. So this is like this, like I said, if, if Abraham was the beginning of God coming back to man, Jesus is the, the climax, climax of that story. And he, God stepped into creation. He became a man and died on the cross for our sins and came back to life. So if we look at the first two symbols, we have our God is love and our sin separates us from God. Now that's a problem for him. If he loves us and our sin separates us from him, he's got a problem and that's the sin in between us. So God did something about it, and that's this third symbol. He came, he stepped into creation, and uh, sin was separating us from God, so he dealt with sin. He sends, sends Jesus to change the game. So uh, Jesus lived a perfect life. He died on the cross as the perfect sacrifice, and then he defeated death. He came back to life so that we could be reunited with God. This event is laid out in the same verse I referenced earlier, but to go a little deeper, uh, it's a verse, if you know one Bible verse, it's probably this one, John three sixteen. For this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. This is what God did to reunite us with him because of his love. So here's a couple things about Jesus. Jesus was the plan from the start. 
Jesus was like, as soon as we messed up, God set this plan into motion to reunite us. Um, Genesis 3.15. I talk about this verse a lot. Um, and probably just because when I got to college, they taught, taught me about it. And I was like, mind blown. So I just tell everyone about it. <laughs> so Genesis 3.15 is what the uh, theologians will call the proto-evangelium. Um, I was just listening to Dave on the Apex Students podcast. And I know he referenced this a few weeks ago. Um, the proto, it's several weeks ago now. I'm behind on my podcast. I'm so sorry. So <laughs> Genesis 3.15 is, um, is, God, is God talking to Adam and Eve and saying, hey, you messed up, this is what's going to happen, and the serpent and saying, this is what's going to happen, you messed up, here are the consequences. And one of the things he says to Eve, forever you, mankind, is going to have a problem with a serpent. So we've got, we've got Eve representing good and the serpent representing evil. So, so he's like saying some literal things, like you are going to have enmity, you are going to fight and eventually, the culmination of this message is going to happen. So he is alluding to this event that Jesus finally brings to life. So all the way back, Genesis, if you don't know, Genesis is the first book of our written scripture, is, is like how we see the earth created, like this is the very beginning. And God, from the very beginning, is saying, all right, He's hinting. He doesn't say, my son, Jesus is going to die on a cross. He says, he says you, the, the evil's going to look like it won for a minute. So we see Jesus die on the cross. And then he says, but in, in the end, the good will triumph over evil. The son of the woman will defeat the son of the serpent. And so that is from the very beginning pointing to Jesus. So Jesus was the plan from the start. Another thing about Jesus was that he fulfilled prophecies. So Genesis 3.15 would be the first one. But we have many all throughout the Old Testament of kind of this Bible, the Bible kind of leans forward and says, hey, something's coming. And uh, a bunch of times it kind of lays out what, it, like the Messiah is coming, the Savior's coming, and it lays out what their life's going to look like, some events that are going to happen in the Savior's life. Um, what my favorite is Micah 5.2, because it's, it's, like, it's like calling it. Micah 5.2 says the Savior's going to be born in Bethlehem. So like sometimes it's like these like vague things or like it's the life is kind of going to look like this. It's going to kind of do these kind of things. And we find that they're all very specific eventually. And this one is just so specific. He's going to be born in Bethlehem. And, and we see Jesus, even though he wasn't from Bethlehem, <laughs> born in Bethlehem. Really, really cool. Fulfilling all these prophecies. He's the plan from the start. And we know that he, that he is who that was talking about because he fulfilled all these prophecies. The third thing is Jesus paid the price for our sins. So like I said, when you miss the mark, consequences happen. And so God kind of to teach people that, he set up this system of sacrifices. So whenever you sinned, um, every once in a while, your family brought a sacrifice to the temple, a goat or a bird or whatever kind of animal, and there would be the shedding of blood to pay for your sin. And this was a symbol that God was using to say, hey, there are consequences when you mess up. So when Jesus came, he, he was creating a new symbol. He's changing the game from this old system where you sacrifice sheep to pay for your sins. Now, Jesus came, he lived a, a sinless life so that when he died on the cross, his death would be the ultimate sacrifice. His death would be the last sacrifice we need to make because his, his death, his sacrifice covered all sin for all people for all time. So we have this old system that Jesus totally changed. He paid the price for our sin. And then the fourth thing, Jesus came back to life. So he didn't just <clears throat> die on the cross and then game over. Jesus 
He, he, he could have. Like Jesus' death paid for our sins and then that work was completed when he came back to life. And that shows me that um, when, I'm, when I accept Jesus as my sacrifice for my sin, he pays for my sin, I'm saved. Yes, I have eternal life in heaven. I have abundant life on earth. But that's not the end. Jesus coming back to life tells me that I am called to something right now, right here. I am called to more, to conquer death in my life, just like Jesus conquered death by coming back to life. He is teaching me that I am called to more. I am called to do something here and now. God is love. Our sin divides us from God. Jesus paid for our sin, then came back to life. I know there's a lot of information here tonight, and uh, this is just the beginning of God's interaction with mankind, the story laid out in Alive in Five. God is love. Sin divides us from God, and Jesus paid for our sin, then came back to life. Next week, we're going to talk about the last two symbols, which is kind of what we do in response to these first three things, like we see God is love. We see our sin separating us. We see God solving that problem. And the last two symbols are what we do in light of those facts. Um, so this is just the setup. This is the setup to, to outline the lengths God is willing to go to show his love for mankind, to be reunited with his people. So tonight, that's what we're going to talk about in small groups. We're going to discuss these ideas that God is love, that how sin divides us from God, and about what Jesus did on the cross to pay for our sins. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much. Thank you for your word. Thank you for what we can learn about you through your word, how you've spoken to your people and how you have worked so hard to reunite us with you. You, you said that separation between God and man cannot be the end of the story. You sent your son to die on the cross so that we can be reunited with you. And that was a way that you showed your love to us. God, thank you so much. I pray you let these words of yours transform us change us. I pray you bless our small group conversation and that you don't let a single person walk out of here without looking a little bit more like you tonight. We love you. It's in your precious name we pray. Everybody said, amen. 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 Thanks for listening to this Apex Students podcast. You can listen to more Apex teachings by subscribing on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. We pray that this message has impacted your life and that you don't walk away without looking a little more like Jesus.